Hello, and welcome to Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we have been interviewing politicians, activists, advocates, and others since 2016 with the intention of ennobling public service, creating a platform for positive civil discourse, and facilitating dialogue with difference. This show is the antidote for those who are tired of hearing about what's going wrong with the world. We showcase people just like you who are working to leave the world better than they found it. And that's good news. And now a word from former President John F. Kennedy with his views on public service. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I'll remind you that this show is made possible by viewers like you. If you appreciate what we're doing here at Public Interest Podcast and enjoy this episode, please contribute $1 at publicinterestpodcast.com. And to express our gratitude, we offer a few freebies to our supporters. In addition to your support, we welcome your feedback. Please join the conversation by calling 240-630-0380 or by emailing engage at publicinterestpodcast.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. We're here today with Justin Park, the founder and president of Intergalactic Education, a space policy expert, a former consultant for NASA, and Justin is also the author of Pushing the Envelope. Justin, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Hi. Thanks, Jordan. I'm doing pretty good. Excellent. So the first question I'd like to pose to you is, what are you currently doing, or what have you ever done to advance the public interest, and why? So yeah, I created uh, my company, Intergalactic Education, uh, with the hope of uh, teaching kids about the space industry. I went to school, a school called the International Space University, uh, where I got a master's degree in space policy, and I learned an awful lot about the industry and where it's headed, and I wanted to show kids all of the exciting things that are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're working with a couple of middle schools now, and so, yeah, educating the kids about the space industry and at the same time getting them to want to do their math homework. So uh, what is the state of the space industry both now in 2017 and also more specifically in the United States? So, yeah, the space space industry right now is very uh, interesting because there's a lot going on in the commercial space world. You have companies like SpaceX and Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic that are doing things that uh, were never done before. Space so there's was, a vacuum being left by NASA, correct? Uh, I wouldn't call it a vacuum. Um, are they still putting rockets into outer space? Uh, yeah, they're still uh, putting rockets into outer space. Okay. And are we still sending Americans to the International Space Station? Uh, we are. Not necessarily on American rockets. Okay. But uh, hopefully that'll change in the next year or two. But we're not putting men on the moon, and we are talking about putting men on Mars. Um, the man on Mars conversation... Um, isn't really uh, realistic, mm-hmm. I would say. There's no uh, definitive plan. They don't have the budget so for So Elon it. Musk talking about putting people on Mars, not too realistic, you would say? Um, not in the near term. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elon's very optimistic. You have to mm-hmm. kind of take what he says and then multiply it by like 1.5 or some <laughs> kind of factor. Um, yeah, I hope... Uh, he does it as quickly as he says he, he will. I know he will. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people 
uh, quit doubting him because he was able to land this Falcon 9 rocket mm-hmm. out in the middle of the ocean on a landing barge mm-hmm. uh, consistently like twelve, the last 12 times in a row. So, wow. And that was after it exploded four times, right? Uh, yeah, the first four were, were all failures. Yeah. Um, and so he has it down now where it looks like it's probably going to be successful for the foreseeable future. So what, what is the state of space exploration? What is the value add for space? I know we have satellites that power everything from the GPS in our phone to music stations. What is the role of space in society today? Yeah, so far, as you mentioned, it's been mostly satellites. Uh, the GPS in your phone, the telecommunications, the weather mm-hmm. that we get. Uh, But moving forward, I see more happening in terms of manufacturing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right now, there's two companies that have experiments on the International Space Station where they're actually creating new fiber optic cables that uh, simply can't be created on Earth because there's too much convection, there's too much gravity. Hmm. And so these new fiber optic cables can only be produced in a microgravity environment. And when you bring those cables back to Earth, do they function differently than fiber optic cables made here? They're better. Really? Yep. The 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 crystal structures are are cleaner. They're they're better. And that has profound commercial implications. Yes, definitely. Huh. Um, so we may export. Would that be manufacturing in space on a station, or more like manufacturing on the moon? Uh, that would probably be better uh, in a space station environment because you even have less gravity. Uh, the moon has about a sixth the gravity, mm-hmm. and so um, it's not quite as uh, good, but at the same time, you could maybe set up larger operations on the moon mm-hmm. as opposed to being confined to just a small, you know, space station. The ISS is pretty big, but in terms of like, you know, a manufacturing facility, it's not that big. Right. <laughs> so you have space station with you have international efforts to put things in space with many commercial implications. Yep. But of course, we first went up there for non-commercial reasons, both the Cold War and the space race, but also just to expand the limits of human understanding um, to put the, uh, the telescope uh, up there, the Hubble telescope, to, yep. to just say that we went to the moon. What's the balance between idealistic um, motivations and, and scientific desires versus real commercial applicability? Yeah, well, that's been the difficult thing. The commercial space industry has kind of struggled to find the business case for a long time because the rockets were so expensive. Mm -hmm. But that's one of the things that SpaceX and Blue Origin are fixing because they've come up with a reusable rocket. You know, Mm -hmm. every other mode of transportation is reusable. You wouldn't drive your car to where you're going, get there, and then throw your car away (laughs) or, or a bicycle or an airplane or every other mode of transportation is reusable. And rockets... Uh, historically have not. The space shuttle was only partially reusable. That huge orange booster on the back mm-hmm. that was bigger than the shuttle itself got thrown away every time. Mm-hmm. All of the thousands of expensive heat shield tiles that were on the space station. Uh, well, they had to be replaced. You know, Upon re-entry. Uh, after it got back to Earth, they'd have to replace most of those tiles. And they were expensive because they're ceramics that have to reach thousands of... Uh, t- Degrees. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so they'd have to get replaced every time. So, all right, so you're working as a, you created your own company, the Intergalactic Education. Yep. And, and what are you trying to accomplish here? So, yeah, oh, as I stated before, we want to teach kids uh, what's going on in the space industry. They, we want to motivate them 
kids don't understand why they're learning uh, science and math, uh, we sh we close loop and show them that you can grow up and work for a cool company like SpaceX. You know, and SpaceX is going to need uh, smart engineers uh, to keep to keep them going. Right. So you you're is kind of like a uh, workforce shortage issue that you're trying to address preemptively. Yes, definitely. And I think we're going to need a lot more engineers in the future. We're going to need a lot more doctors. Um, Why doctors? Uh, I think healthcare is a major issue. So not related uh, to space or related to like doctors everything. on missions abroad, like to uh, just in. That's more of a general one. I think there's not enough doctors. One of the reasons why healthcare costs are so high is because there's not enough doctors. It's kind of a, a simplification of supply and demand, I think. So you're trying to make STEM, STEM being, for our listeners who don't know, science, technology, education, and math. Engineering, engineering and math. math. Yeah. So um, you're trying to make STEM education more appealing to children and more practical and to present more practical implications of stem engineering to children's parents is that exactly. somewhat of the value yeah exactly okay. and and the the parents they want to see their kids get into a good college and so mm -hmm. you know the kids aren't the ones that are going to buy the software it's the parents that want their kids to go to a good school that are and this is like a game that will help them learn skills yeah so we're leveraging gamification uh, most kids don't like math as i said and so we reward them with rockets and robots and satellites and things that allow them to progress through the game uh, when they answer their linear equations. How's the market receiving this product? Uh, pretty good. Part of the problem was I didn't know that much about the education industry. Mm -hmm. uh, it's one of those um, you know beginner entrepreneur moves where I went into a market that I didn't really understand. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize how much red tape there is in the education industry. We've mm -hmm. been working with a school now for over a year. Uh, we haven't seen a dime from them because you have to go through their board of education and the superintendent mm -hmm. and the principals have to approve and the parents have to approve. And there's just a whole lot of red tape. It seemed like something that they would want and that they need and they do, but they just um, to get a, a license agreement in place, you know, the procurement process in the education industry is, is really, really long. And so now we've refocused and we're going to be selling the software directly to parents. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, all right, so so let's talk a little bit about your experience in space. Well, what is it? You were once a kid, and you once had to do math in school. Yeah, and eventually that led to you being a contractor for NASA. So, yep. tell me about that story. Why is it that you did like math, and why is it that you did go into the space industry, especially when it's not really as exciting now? Or maybe you you beg to differ, but. The space industry was in the front page of the New York Times throughout the 60s and 70s, and, 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 and of course, much, much to a much lesser extent today. Yeah. Um, NASA certainly makes headlines, just not as frequently anymore. Uh, it hasn't been a national goal. Uh, the budget that NASA had in the 60s isn't, we don't have that, we're not even close to that now. <laughs> and so, yeah, the reason I got into math, I guess, mm -hmm. um, was I was good at it. You know, it came very naturally to me. I knew that I wanted to make video games when I got older. Mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, yeah, I've done a lot of things since then. Um, I also uh, learned a lot about the space industry uh, when I was in graduate school. Mm -hmm. And uh, my real passion for space emerged when I got into this graduate program at the International Space University. Yeah. And so that's kind of how that all 
uh, transpired. I was I wrote Pushing the Envelope. Uh, it was a sci-fi novel about fiction. yeah fiction where um, where I thought the technology industry was going, mm-hmm. and I was working on a sequel. And the sequel kind of went from um, you know modern day technology that we already have now to uh, space, you know, because I, I see space being a part of our future, yeah. uh, part of our near future. So what sort and of things so, are you seeing in the future of space development? You already mentioned fiber yeah, optic cables. fiber optic cables, uh, but I definitely see tourism, uh, you know, private citizens paying uh, large amounts of money in the beginning to, to go to space. Virgin Galactic already has like 500 passengers signed up uh, to ride on their rocket plane. Uh, we've already seen seven people that have paid, you know, twenty million dollars to go to the International Space Station. Um, uh, SpaceX uh, has said that they have two people that have paid to do a lunar roundabout mission. Huh. Um, that uh, was announced last year. Actually, it grabbed headlines. So for, they did. They went around the moon. Uh, they've announced that people have paid uh, to to fund this mission. Huh. And so, so, but they haven't gone yet. No, they haven't gone yet. Um, I'm not sure. They haven't set a, a particular date yet. It's like a cool vacation. Uh, yeah. Well, there's a lot of rumor um, that one of the purchasers of the ticket is James Cameron, and so the he, movie guy. the movie guy, yeah. uh, James Cameron is actually very involved in the space industry. Most people don't know that, but he's actively. Uh, involved and so what sort of people are involved in engaging the space industry and what attracts them to it um yeah uh i would say people who like technology people who are forward thinking people like jeff bezos and and of the ceo uh, of amazon yep uh his company blue origin put the same rocket into space five times and landed it last year which was a a very major accomplishment Mm -hmm. Uh, nobody's been able to do that before and nobody's been able to do it since Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, people who like adventures, um, a lot of these people who dive down very deep into the oceans, like James Cameron are, are also into, um, going into space. What are Uh, some of the different, there are a lot of similarities between going a few miles beneath the uh, ocean surface and going into outer space, right? In fact, astronauts even train in pools of water. Yep. Because there's a similar sensation of weightlessness under the water as there is in outer space. Yeah, it's a simulated environment. And mm-hmm. and it's very foreign, a few miles underneath the sea, uh, the sort of life form you'd find out there. Of course, we haven't found any life forms in outer space to date. Nope. So, but uh, but there there are a lot of similarities. Do you know? Could you elaborate for our listeners on some of the similarities? Um, yeah, they, I mean, you cannot breathe underwater. And so you can't <laughs> breathe in space either. Yeah. Um, so it's not so what, not the most hospitable environment for humans. Yeah. Without you don't, a suit, you don't last very long. Right. Um, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of uh, places underneath the ocean that are unexplored. Yeah. Uh, likewise, there's just as many places uh, in space that are unexplored. Um, Probably exponentially more in outer space. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the <laughs> Earth is very limited when you compare it in size and to scope the to universe. to even the solar system. <laughs> you know, it's, it's minuscule. Yeah. So, what do you think Congress ought to fund NASA to a greater extent than they have been recently? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's part of the problem is that they don't have enough funding. Uh, the, How do you, know, you make the case? How would you make the case to Congress that they should divert funds from other endeavors to? fund space exploration 
yeah, well, I have a, a couple of ideas. Uh-huh. Uh, one that's a little more forward-thinking, and I'm still uh, gathering feedback on it, is um, to ask the question, where does uh, religion fit in, in space? Uh, right now, uh, Mike Pence um, is the head of the National Space Council. For those who um, don't know, Mike Pence is the Vice President of the United States. And he uh, is a very religious person. Uh-huh. And I think if we could convince him uh, that putting, you know, at least a chapel on the lunar surface uh, would be something that, you know, God would want. And it's, it's something that is important as well from a scientific standpoint because the, the lunar surface uh, has a lot more radiation. There's no ozone uh, to protect the, the astronauts that are on the lunar surface. And so you have to go somewhere uh, during these solar storms. Uh, the, and so this sort of chapel would be kind of like a subterranean cave. Yeah, it would be a cave in the moon. And all we really have to do is, is build, you know, an altar there so that when the uh, astronauts get back there, you know, they can, you know, they can, they can pray. You know, they can give uh, thanks to God. And, and so that's something uh, I think that would resonate amongst a lot of the um, the the people in office. Um, Interesting, because a lot of times you uh, might disassociate religion from science, right? You might yep. think that there's a really two almost irreconcilable uh, patterns of thought, yep. but and actually to get funds for NASA, you've you've come. There's an idea that you might leverage something that is quite different in order to get buy-in uh, to finance the first. Yeah, and I don't see them as completely different either. I mm-hmm. see them as uh, mutually beneficial. Um, there's, yeah, uh, there's a lot of uh, importance to to religion and, and to God, and so I think that's been neglected uh, in the scientific community. And yeah. it's uh, yeah, it's something you know. The majority of the the Earth is is, is religious. So what and what so, are other nations doing around the world uh, in terms of? international space travel uh quite a bit actually just that, space travel. you know that it's uh <laughs> it's interesting there's a lot of things going on internationally now you know during the cold war during the moon race it was just the ussr and the united states but now you have china who has their own uh space station you've got separate from the iss separate from the iss they're actually not allowed on the iss uh, the chinese are not allowed nope it's a political uh, conundrum, I guess you'd call it. So they have their own completely duplicative yeah. infrastructure. For uh, it's not rockets. duplicative. It's not as large or as capable as the International Space Station, uh-huh. but they have their own. But Chinese uh, individuals of Chinese nationality have been on the space station before, correct? Not the International Space Station. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Is, is what other nations are sending people up? Um, people or, or satellites. I mean, because the in, the Indian Space Agency, ISRO, they uh, have never been able to shoot their own passengers, but they were able to get a satellite to Mars, which is a really big deal. Huh. Um, yeah, they have their own uh, medium-slash-heavy-lift rocket, and so they were able to put a satellite into orbit around Mars a couple of years ago. And what was the benefit of that? International um, bragging rights? Yeah, and, and they're able to um, communicate with the satellite so that when they do start doing operations on the, the surface, 
uh, they'll be able to communicate with whatever. Is that um, the first human satellite put into orbit around Mars? No, no, no. We've got the, the Mars. Have done yeah, that. we've got the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter that's been going around for many years. Because I know we've landed stuff on there. Okay, yep. so uh, so you have, and how many space stations are there orbiting the Earth? Uh, right now, you have the ISS, and then one Chinese one. Um, I think it's supposed to come down like this week. And the Indian. Uh, the Indian Space Agency works with NASA uh-huh. uh, and the other partners of the ISS to, to go to So the it's ISS. not like a separate thing, the Indian Space Station? It's not a separate No, no. Okay. No, they don't have their own space station. So There's only what are, the, are those governments, do they have a different sort of situation in considering their presence in outer space compared to the American presence in outer space? Um, yeah, they have their own uh, NASA equivalent. Mm-hmm. You know, NASA is well-funded compared to the other ones. Really? So uh, as poorly funded as NASA is in 2017 compared to the 1960s, we're much more well-funded compared to other nations in 2017. Yeah, we NASA gets about $20 billion per year. Most mm-hmm. of the other space agencies um, get a few billion, mm-hmm. you know. Great. All right. Well, so that is the state. Any other thoughts on the state of space exploration, travel, commercial applicability of uh, moving, exploring space? Yeah. I mean, I've got a ton of opinions uh, and and ideas about where we're headed. You know, I think getting back to uh, the lunar surface, at least with robots and, and building, you know, an altar there. Uh, or a chapel with an altar, um, it could be done by robots, certainly. And it's something um, that should be made a national priority. Um, people look to space and, and they determine, you know, who's leading technology. You know, if, if we're not the first ones back to the moon, uh, that's going to look um, bad uh, in terms of... Uh, America leading uh, technology. So the Americans are the only humans to ever have set foot on the on the moon, right? Correct. Yeah. All right. Great. So you're so you're and and uh, I guess I'd like to ask you a final question, which is um, with regards to intergalactic education. Would you speak about what you hope your legacy will be uh, in having created a program that's ostensibly designed to get students more interested? in STEM and potentially explore careers with NASA and outer space? Yeah, well, I guess I'd like to see a cultural change. Most people don't think that space is going to be a part of their future, and I think those people are wrong. I think space is going to be something that everyone's able to uh, experience and benefit from. Uh, If you look back at computers, you know, 40, 50 years ago, nobody thought they would have a computer. Well, everybody has a computer now, and I think in 30 or 40 years, everyone's going to have the opportunity to go to space, so much so that people are probably going to take access to space for granted. But, um, yeah, that's just the way technology works. And that has been Justin Park, founder and president of Intergalactic Education, space policy expert, former consultant for NASA, and an author who speaks... Uh, about the potential impending cultural shift that Americans and all of humanity might have in gaining access to space as another resource to be used and explored by humanity, uh, presenting an analogy to uh, the ubiquity of computers uh, and computing devices like smartphones in 2017 uh, and how only a half century ago uh, not many people had any exposure whatsoever to computers. He speaks about... uh, 
emerging trends with reusable rockets to uh, improve uh, access and improve return on investment for uh, access to uh, outer space, potential uh, trends in tourism, uh, and uh, how there are commercial applications such as manufacturing without the influence of uh, <coughs> Earth's gravity. So many exciting things in outer space. And Justin, I'd like to thank you for joining us uh, today on Public Interest Podcast. All right. Thanks, Jordan. This has been another episode of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. I'll remind you to subscribe on publicinterestpodcast.com, iTunes, or your favorite podcast listening platform. And please join the conversation by calling 240-630-0380 or emailing engage at publicinterestpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.